Welcome back to Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Colin Haas Hill once again on this second week in May. And uh, the big news for Ohio State football this past week was uh, not good news. We did, uh, I think we did briefly mention last week about how Ohio State was battling Alabama for Henry To'o To'o. And then on Saturday afternoon, we got the news that Henry To'o To'o would be going to Alabama, which, you know, I think was a little bit of a surprise because I think I think most people thought Ohio State was in a pretty good spot with Henry. Now, you know, we never really knew because he didn't really say much. And I know we were asked last week when he was going to make a decision. And I truly did not know. I, I was actually asked on Friday afternoon on Twitter by someone when we were going to decision. And I said, I had no idea. And that was the truth. And uh, suddenly that, that news popped up on Saturday afternoon. So uh, a disappointing loss for Ohio state on the recruiting trail there. As, as far as we know, Henry Toto was really the only guy that Ohio state was really pursuing in, in the transfer portal this year. And, you know, certainly the fact that they were uh, going after him hard suggests that they really thought he was someone who was going to help them a lot at linebacker this year. Yeah, this is a really interesting sort of transfer portal recruiting loss to me. Because, you know, some of them, like, not even just transfer portal losses, but 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 a recruiting loss, you look around and you say, well, there are a lot of other guys, like, they can just turn their attention elsewhere. For him, it was like, it was very specific. It was a very specific reason they targeted him. And, and I was questioning whether they needed to do that in the first place. I mean, they have Dallas Gant coming back. They have Taraja Mitchell coming back. The idea, at least that we think, is that they're going to generally play two linebackers on the field if you're not going to count Craig Young as, as, as one of the two bullets along with Ronnie Hickman. So I just think that, that I think both of us felt fairly comfortable in, in, in what they had, but I think that them going after Henry Toto tells you something, and I think that probably tells you that there are fairly significant questions there. And I'm not saying that Dallas Gant and Taraja Mitchell aren't going to be ready, that they're not going to be good players, but Ohio State has been very deliberate in the kinds of transfers that they go after when you're looking at a Justin Fields, a Jonah Jackson, a Trey Sermon, and they've gone after only guys who they look at as immediate upgrades who can come in right away and fill a need this year. And the fact that they went after Toto to me tells you that that's exactly how they viewed it with him. Well, as far as I know or can at least think of off the top of my head, this is the first one of these they've really lost, right? Yes. You know, I, I, that's sort of, that that was my thought too. I can't remember them going after one of these guys and missing. But and of course, it's only been a couple of years that that teams have really teams like Ohio State have really done that. But we haven't seen this that much. No, I mean, I feel like you know, like you said, they've been very selective. And I mean, they've gotten in the guys they want. I mean, you know, Justin Fields, he was the guy in the transfer portal two years ago and they got him and Jonah Jackson, you know, he was their guy. He was the guy they wanted on the offensive line and they got him. And then same thing last year, Trey Sermon was the guy they wanted at running back and they got him. So, you know, this is definitely uh, a loss in, in that sense. And, you know, I think if you, you do, like you said, if you, if you look at the linebackers in the transfer portal right now, I don't think there's really a plan B here. Like, I don't, I don't think there's another guy out there that hasn't committed somewhere else yet that they can just go and say, well, we'll get this guy and he can solve our problems too. And the, the only guy that's maybe still available is, 
and this is a name I'm not 100% sure if I'm saying I was it right. excited to hear uh, you try and pronounce Pal- this Pal- No, I'm going to try. Uh, Palai Goteote from USC. Uh, he's a guy who actually early on this offseason, there were some rumors that he was going to end up at Ohio State, and that was really before Henry Toto entered the transfer portal. But uh, once Toto entered the portal, you know, he became the clear top target, and I'm not really sure how much communication they had with Geo Teote throughout this process. So it sounds, uh, based on a report from AL.com last week, that Geo Teote is going to end up at Texas. And if that's the case, if you look at uh, the 24-7 sports transfer portal rankings, the top 13 linebackers, not including him, are committed somewhere else. So there's not anybody else in the portal who can come in and be an immediate impact player like Toto. And I think more significantly, I don't think there's any other linebackers in the portal who are better than the guys they already have. Yeah, that's the thing. Be, and it goes back to and it goes back to the comment that I had about how deliberate they are about going after guys in the portal is that Henry Toto would have fit a perfect need for them. You know, he would have been an immediate upgrade at that position. I don't think that they're in a position where they need to bring in guys specifically and solely for depth purposes. Like, I, I just don't see that as being the case because you have Taraja Mitchell and Dallas Gantt, and then behind them you have guys in, in Cody Simon um, and, uh, and Tommy Eichenberg who I think are going to be ready for some sort of roles. It's not like you're asking them to go in and be day one every snap starters. Then you have Kayvon Pope, who's a senior as well. Um, Reed Carrico as well is, is is a true freshman. Um, there, there, there's enough depth there that I don't think they, that they need to go out and, and grab someone immediately. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I don't think this is a depth question. And, you know, I, I think, you know, this came up with, with basketball too when we were talking about it last week. And like, I, I do think this is like an important point to make about the whole depth thing is like one thing that people got to realize is the vast majority of guys in the transfer portal are not in there because they want to go be depth guys. They're in there because they want to go start somewhere. So, you know, I think people wonder, well, you can always use more depth, but you're not going to get anybody good to come in and be a backup. I mean, they did do that at quarterback with, with Chris Chuganov and Gunnar Hoke, but both of those guys came in with realistic expectations that they most likely weren't ever going to really see any playing time at, at Ohio State. You know, yeah, maybe there's some linebacker out there, you know, who dreamed of being a Buckeye who maybe you can come bring in uh, to fill out the back of a roster, but you're, you're not going to get somebody who's a starting caliber player unless you're telling him, you're going to get the first opportunity to start. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt that if Henry Toto came in, he was going to be a starter. They might not have quote unquote promised him a starting job, but they were going to give him every opportunity to be a starter. And that's certainly what he was going to be expected to be. So that goes back to your point from earlier, Colin, about the fact that they wouldn't have pursued Henry Toto if they weren't concerned about their lack of experience at linebacker. So I think it's totally fair to be concerned about the linebackers because if Ohio State was truly fully confident in the guys they have, they wouldn't have gone after Henry. But I also don't think Ohio State is in dire straits at the linebacker position. Like, here's really the way I look at it, and I thought about this even more after I, you know, wrote an article on it that the guys they have should be good enough 
And if they're not, that in my mind would be an indictment on Al Washington because you all the linebackers on the roster are either guys that Al Washington has coached for the last two years or that he's recruited himself. And it's not as if they've had any like early departures of this position. So the linebackers should be good enough. If they're not good enough, then something else has gone wrong along the way more than just losing Henry toe to Alabama. That's my real question. That's the one that I can't, I don't think that we're going to know until, until they actually start playing. I don't think that they're going to tell us is, is how good are these guys? How much of liability are these guys and what we can expect? I just, that's a major question for me. And I would put this, I think it's one of the biggest concerns of this team. The one thing I would say is, you know, I do think that this defensive line has a chance to be like really, really, really good this year. And I think that the secondary has a chance to take a major step forward. And I do think that that can potentially help cover up some of the deficiencies at linebacker. Um, but I do think them pursuing Henry Toto sort of speaks to speaks to something that they can't they can't cover up and say, no, we feel 100 percent fine because they clearly didn't. They clearly didn't like you like it's you don't pursue someone like that if you're Ohio State, if you feel completely fine, because again, these are guys who waited their turn. I don't think anybody who's listening to this would have, you know, felt bad if if one of these guys had transferred along the way, because they they can they continually sat behind guys who a lot of the fan base was calling for them to, to start ahead of. Um, and, and they've waited their time. And, and the fact that Ohio State was trying to recruit over them, essentially, for, for a one-year starter at linebacker, you know, I, I don't think that's a great sign, to be quite honest. Right. And that's why you really don't want to lose one of these, because now you've got to go back to your players and say, hey, we have full confidence in you, yeah. even though it's pretty clear that you didn't. Yeah. And and like, I, I think that Al Washington is a good enough coach that that's not going to be a, a major, major struggle for him. But it's it's an unavoidable fact. And so, you know, we were asked about by by STL Buckeye 15 is asked, you know, was seeking out Toto an indictment on the current linebackers or an opportunity that was too good to pass up? In my mind, I think it was a combination of both, because I think if you look at Toto, I mean, this is a guy who's been a two year starter in the SEC. Uh, he was a freshman All-American uh, leading tackler at Tennessee last year. And you can clearly say he has something that no linebacker on Ohio state's current roster does. And that's proven experience playing in what I would say is the best conference in, in the sport. Some of our listeners may disagree, but that's would be my opinion that the sec is the best conference in college football. And so to have a guy that's played for two years has played at a really high level has shown that he can be a reliable free down player. You know, I think that's why he was too good to pass up if you had the opportunity to get him because now you are going into a season of you just don't know exactly what you have. And, you know, I think that's that's what we don't know is that did Ohio State do this because they just don't know and they just wanted some familiarity or did Ohio State do this because they did not really like what they saw from from the guys they had this spring that like I like you said Colin we're really not going to know the answer to that until they actually go out there and play in September yeah and it's funny how how the question's worded by by STL Buckeye 15 and, and that was it 
was seeking him out and an indictment on the current linebackers or an opportunity that was too good to pass up because to be quite honest, just based on how Ohio State has recruited transfers over the past few years, I think that those are the two prerequisites to getting a transfer. They have to both view that their roster is not up to snuff and they, they have to view somebody else as being really good and too good for them to pass up. And like, to me, them going after him tells you that, yes, that is what the, 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 what they were thinking. Yeah, I agree. I think you're absolutely right. It has to fit both sides of a coin there. And that's why I'm saying, like, I would be very surprised if they go after another transfer linebacker because there's not another guy that's going to check that second box. One more question from him on, on this situation, which, you know, is probably what a lot of people have, have thought over the over the past few uh, months and even dating back to years at this point. Um, some have mentioned Steel Chambers possibly switching to linebacker, but some time ago Tony Alford made it clear that this wasn't going to happen. Is it possible we see a change now? I don't know. I mean, I guess what well, here's what I would say. I, I think that if that's something that Ohio State thinks Steel Chambers can do, and if Steel Chambers wants to improve his chances of getting on the field at Ohio State, then I think that they should probably do it because I I think the running back depth chart right now, I think there's too much depth at that position for me to think that steel chambers is going to be higher than fifth in the pecking order at running back right now. And there definitely could be an opportunity there at, at linebacker, depending on how things shake out. So to me, it would make sense. Uh, you know, it, Alfred was fairly adamant when he was asked about it. Uh, in the spring that that was not the plan with that being said it's certainly something that if we get invited to you know watch the first day of uh, practice and preseason camp it's certainly something I'd be keeping an eye out for to see if maybe he's lining up at a new position yeah and here's the thing about Tony Alford saying that like there's no downside to him saying what he said all he's doing is he's he's keeping he's keeping a player and a player's family happy um I remember this because you know I had I had I had noticed that Antonio Williams, like three years ago, this was in spring camp. I don't remember what year was his last year, but I remember seeing and noticing that he had followed and was getting followed by a bunch of other schools coaches. And he wasn't in the transfer portal. I don't even know if the transfer portal was a term back then, but he hadn't announced his transfer or anything. And I remember there were, there, there was a, there was a running back interview session that spring and Tony Alford talked up Antonio Williams to such a high degree. I was like, wow, like, should we really be expecting something from Antonio Williams? And I don't know if it was a week. I don't know if it was two weeks, but shortly thereafter, Antonio Williams transferred. And that was just like, you know, that's just a coach doing what he feels is best for a guy who is buried on the depth chart and wants to help out. So, you know, I can appreciate what Tony Alford says about Steel Chambers. I don't know how much I look at it and say, well, he said it's not going to happen. So I believe hundred percent it's not going to happen. I think it's, I think it's possible, but it, this is one of those things. And Ryan day had mentioned it, you know, earlier this year, like steel chambers has to be on board with it too. Like it can't just be a one-way street where Ohio state has a need wants to move him. Um, I think it would potentially make sense. I, I, I think that steel chambers path to the field at running back, not even just this year, but beyond this year is going to be really, really difficult. Um, but but that's a decision for that that he has to have some 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 voice in as well. Yeah, and the truth is, let's say he did make that move. I mean, what would the outlook for him there be? I don't know because you know, like we said, they do have six guys at those inside linebacker spots who uh, I think can play there. And so you know, that leads to the other question we got from Oh Pretty Ricky is assuming full health, 
who are your starting linebackers to start the season? And, you know, I'm at the point, like, I remain very confident that one of the starters is going to be Taraja Mitchell. I believe Taraja Mitchell is going to be the starting will linebacker. I think their hope was that the starting linebackers were going to be Taraja Mitchell and Henry To'o To'o. So I think that leaves some question about the other spot. My, I've said Dallas Gantt all along that I thought he would be in line for a starting job. So I'm going to stick with Dallas Gantt as the guy who I think will be the second starter. But I think the fact that he missed the spring and the fact that they were recruiting another linebacker to potentially come in and start over him tells me that, you know, that is far from set in stone. So I, I think Cody Simon is a guy that if he's in the starting lineup week one, that would not surprise me at all. And I think Tommy Eichenberg is not out of that race either. Yeah, I'm a, li- I'm a little less sure on on Taraja Mitchell definitely being a starter ahead of ahead of Dallas Gantt. Um, I maybe I maybe would give Taraja Mitchell a slight edge there, but but it, I don't think that the gap is 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 that big in in my mind. Um, that said, like sitting here today, those two guys are my projected starters. Um, I just I think that I think they've waited their turns. I think they're talented guys, and and I do think I'm I'm right there with you. I don't think that's set in stone, though, um, and, and I do think that Dallas Gant's going to have to earn that thing when when preseason camp rolls around. And Cody Simon's a guy that everybody forgets about. I mean, he's the number seventy five overall player in his class. This is his second year on campus. Um, I'm interested to see what he looks like in, in in some meaningful snaps because he's a guy who, even if he doesn't start this year, I think we're going to see see plenty of. Yeah, and I think it's definitely possible we see more rotation at that position that we've seen in past years. You know, I think, you know, I'm not sure that, you know, any of these guys are going to necessarily be every down, every series players. If I wouldn't be surprised if we see three or four guys getting regular playing time at those inside linebacker spots. No, I, I wouldn't as well. I mean, I, I think linebacker is probably one of the biggest mysteries um, as we, as we head into the head into the sweet summer. But I will say, we mentioned it last week. I, I, I I think the bullet is even more real now. I think without Henry Toa Toa, uh, I think the bullet's absolutely happening, and I think it's probably going to be something that's on the field uh, far more often than not. Yeah, and there's nothing that you know. It's it's always a thrill when we become even more confident in the bullet, and then the bullet inevitably will not exist. Uh, I feel like it has to exist. I think it has. I, I to think exist it has to because well, I just but... don't think they have the per- you know because to me. I think the biggest question with all of these linebackers is I don't know how well any of these guys can cover. I just don't. And so I think that is the biggest question with all of these linebackers. And I think that's why the bullet is going to have to be a thing in this defense. Long live the bullet. Now, the other side of this conversation with Henry Toto not coming to Ohio State is that he is going to Alabama. And, you know, we talked last week about Jamison Williams going to Alabama. I mean, it sure looks like Alabama is loading up to be damn good once again. I, I think that this is one of the most interesting interesting storylines of, of the offseason um, because just to me, it's not the same as what Clemson was last year because there was way more hate in that thing. There was there was more feeling on the Ohio State side that, that there was a robbery <laughs> that, that, that needed to be corrected, and that's not what's happening here. But to me, the focus that there was on Clemson at this point last year 
is a little bit similar to the focus that there is on Bama. And in this, in the same way that Ohio state was chasing Clemson, I think that they're chasing Alabama, except for, I think that, I think that the chase for Clemson was almost a a chase to prove that we are on the same level, if not higher. And the chase for Alabama is to prove that we are on the same level. And I think that that's a little bit of a different chase. It's a little bit different optics, but I think that that's when you're going up against Nick Saban, that's, that's about as good as you can get. Yeah. I agree with that characterization completely because you know, like you said, it's it's not the same thing. I mean, one reason why it's not the same thing is because Ohio State's beaten Alabama before. Like, it's, it's it's not like they're still trying to beat a team for the first time. So it it's not the same thing. But you know, I think you're right. Like, that's the target that's in front of them. Like, I I would venture to guess that in the weight room, there's probably uh, the score of that national championship game uh, plastered all over the place for those players. Uh, to look at while they're in their training. So I don't think there's any doubt that, you know, that's the game that's going to be on their minds. And uh, that's what they're going to want. They're going to want another shot at Alabama. And I also don't think there's any doubt right now that in the minds of Ohio state fans, there's a fear of we're not as good as Alabama. And, you know, these moves that Alabama is making is just continuing uh, to widen that, gap between the two programs and you know i i think some of that gets a little bit you know over exaggerated because i mean alabama's got question marks too i mean they just lost eight guys who were picked in the top 38 of the nfl draft so alabama's got a lot of talent to replace too but you know there's no doubt just when you look at you look at what's happened this offseason i mean you look at the recruiting class alabama just brought in of high school players and then now you look at what they're doing here for the transfer portal. You look at the fact that there's still an ongoing recruiting battle between Ohio State and Alabama for JT Tuomolowau. And, you know, they have, you know, it feels now like, you know, I mean, Ohio State could still play Clemson again in the college ball playoff, and that's going to be just as bitter as ever as they do. But right now it feels like, okay, Clemson's maybe on the back burner a little bit. And Alabama is now the team that you're looking at is that's the team Ohio state's got to beat if they're going to win a national championship. Yeah. And they're both in interesting spots because they're in somewhat similar spots. They're not in the same spot, but these are two teams that are replacing their quarterbacks that lost fairly significant talent. And I think that the, the top end talent for Alabama that was lost was greater, but the quarterback loss was a greater hit for Ohio state. So to me, it's a, it's a little bit, it evens out a little bit there, but you know, these are two teams that I think are going to have are, are are in. They're in a little bit transition right now, but but mainly these are just mega talented rosters that are trying to reload as best they can. And like this is the fun part about it because you know that these two teams are going to be great. What's interesting is that like I don't think that we can sit here and know a lot of these guys on Alabama's roster that are going to be great. But Alabama fans sure know them, and I'm sure that there are nine five stars in their in, in their starting lineup that 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 haven't really played before that they're excited to see. In the same way that that Ohio State is excited for those kind of guys um, this upcoming season, and and that to me is the the story of of these programs for the next few months is who can reload better. And this is the, this is the issue with Nick Saban when you're when you're trying to reload like Nick Saban, reload equally as good as equally as efficiently as Nick Saban. That's a tough place to be, but but that's that's what Ohio State's chasing right now, and it's 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 almost an impossible battle. But I but I think it's fascinating to see all of the the different players right now who who are 
who are a little bit familiar because I, I, I do feel like there was a little bit more familiarity between some guys who had been recruited um, between Ohio State and Clemson than there is generally between Ohio State and Alabama. But, you know, Henry Toto, if these two, two teams play, I'm sure his name will come up again. Obviously, J.C. Latham was it was a big recruiting loss for Ohio State. Um, Jamison Williams, um, Jordan Battle, Devontae Smith flipped from Ohio State to Alabama. I will say this, like, it feels like on the recruiting trail, Alabama has been able to get the better of Ohio State in a way that Clemson really wasn't able to, um, e- even when they were they were evil enemy number one for the past couple of years. Um, and, I, and I think that that's that's the that's the thing that makes this interesting to me is you're going up against what everyone calls the Death Star and and, and what and what people view as as the evil empire in college football, and. This is this is the one team that I feel like fairly consistently when we see Ohio State go up against them, it's it's tougher than probably anybody else. Yeah, and it, it feels like you know they are a team that at least right now in the immediate moment that Ohio State is competing against the most on the recruiting trail. Like you know there are some Ohio State Clemson battles happening right now, but they don't they, they just don't seem to be as high profile as they were uh, maybe a year or two ago, but. You know, obviously, you know, we just mentioned, you know, the Henry Toto one, and then you've got JT to Molo Al, and I know there's, you know, other guys out there too that both of those programs want. So, you know, it, it is. I mean, it's like you said, I mean, you, you're trying to take down the program that has been the dominant force in this sport for a year and a half. I mean, you know, Nick, Nick Saban is – in my opinion, the greatest college football coach of all time. And right now he's operating as at high of a level as he ever has. Uh, I'm, I'm going to guess Ryan day is going to be smarter than Jimbo Fisher. And he's probably not going to tell the touchdown club of Columbus that he's going to uh, beat Nick Saban's ass. Uh, But I think that's certainly what Ohio state would love to do. Yeah, it's interesting because when I look at the the kind of guys that Clemson has wanted that that Ohio State has landed, like Clemson wanted Emeka Buka and, and Ohio State landed him. You know, Clemson wanted Jordan Hancock, had Jordan Hancock committed, and Ohio State um, won that recruiting battle. It's funny because, like, at least of, of late, you know, Nick Saban has gotten the better of Ohio State in those kind of battles. And I think that when I when I look at when I look at the, the the recruiting classes that Alabama has brought in, like it does make me take a step back for a second because we've basically sat here for the past two years for however long Ryan Day has been here and been like, I don't understand how in the world this guy is recruiting the way he has. Yet Alabama's recruited better during that time span. And I think that that puts it a little bit in perspective that as great as things are at Ohio State, like they have an equal rival here. They, they have a team that maybe is an inch better talent-wise than them over the past few years, and it still is right now. Like, if you look at the the 2022 recruiting class, where Ohio State has Quinn Ewers, Alabama's average recruit rating is is just slightly higher. That was the same in 2021. That was the same in 2020. That was the same in 2019. You have to go back to 2018 to find a class that the average rating for a recruit was higher for Ohio State than it was for Alabama. Um, And I think that that is is telling, and that – that is probably not something that, that, that we would have been able to say about Clemson because Clemson, the thing about Clemson was, you know, Dabo was an, Dabo's been an amazing developer for, for however much people in Columbus hate Dabo Sweeney, the way that he developed some of the lesser rated recruiting classes was spectacular. 
talent-wise, Ohio State had a little bit of an edge there. There's no edge in the Alabama and in whatever kind of rivalry Ohio State has with Alabama, whatever kind of matchup there is there. They're on equal footing that way. Well, and I, I think we saw it play out in college ball playoff last year. I think we saw it play out that Ohio State was a more talented team than Clemson. I think I think we absolutely saw that on the field. And then I think we saw that Alabama was a more talented team than Ohio State. I mean, again, as we talked about last week, the NFL draft backed that up. They had eight players selected in the – Top 38, uh, Ohio State had one. So, you know, I think, you know, there, there is, you know, there, there was a difference there in, in terms of talent. And, you know, I think, there, I think you can absolutely make the case that, you know, we always talk about, you know, those three programs because it's, it's clear if you just look at what these teams have done in the college ball playoff era, they're clearly a, a big step ahead of everybody else. Just nobody else has been nearly as consistently successful as these pre programs have had. But, you know, I think we talked about it, you know, going into the playoff last year, but it felt like, you know, Alabama and Clemson were a cut above Ohio state and Ohio state had to get to that level. Now it feels like Clemson's come down to Ohio state's level, but Alabama's still a level ahead of Ohio state. Yeah. I think it's hard to dispute that. And and that's the, that, that's that's the challenge for Ryan Day. I mean, it's 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 that's one heck of a challenge when you're in your third full season as a head coach, and it's like, all right, so you beat everybody else in college football. Now go take down Nick Saban. But congratulations, Ryan Day, you've already got there. So what do you think? Do you, do you think Ohio State can get there? Do you think Ohio State can can get there this year to where they they have a chance to beat Bama? I think they can. I mean, they're in an interesting place in that. Like they are reloading in a similar way. And I do think that there are some key pieces off of last year's Ohio State team that stayed around and make it, it stayed around and, and, and can maybe not make Ohio State the superpower that Alabama was during the 2020 season, but give them a lot higher of a floor and give them a lot better of a chance to, to be that kind of team. Because if you're looking at the way, um, if you're looking at just the guys that Ohio State has back, like a Haskell Garrett, a, a Thayer Munford, a, a Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, um, there are a lot of a lot of high level players on this team, and and I do think that we're not going to see Ohio State surpass Alabama, but I do think that they can meet Alabama. You know, they've recruited, they haven't recruited quite as well. Like there's this one degree of separation in the 2021 and 2022 classes, but they're right there. So so to me, the the talent is pretty much equivalent, um, and I think that if the talent is equal and Ohio State has the, has the veterans back that they have, like. I'm just excited to see this matchup because I think that I think that we're going to see it later this year, whether it's in December, January. I don't I don't remember what the playoff what the what the semifinal games are this year, or um, but I think they can get there. It's just a matter of we're sitting here on May 11th and we don't even know who Iowa State's quarterback is. So if I say that with any degree of certainty, I would sound like an idiot. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to talk about Ohio State surpassing Alabama as a program, I mean, Ryan Day's got to win multiple national championships yes, before we can have that conversation. That's that's just the reality. To you, can, even if Ohio State wins the national championship this year, in terms of you know what they've accomplished as a program, you're not going to be able to say that about Ohio State yet. But I, I think for right now, the more important question is, okay, you know, can Ohio State beat Alabama this year? And I think you know the answer to that is absolutely. Now that doesn't mean I'm predicting that it's going to happen. In fact, I'd probably predict the opposite, but I think Ohio State's capable. I mean, I think Ohio State's capable of winning a national championship this year, and I don't 
I don't think Alabama, in terms of the team it's going to have this year, I don't look at it and go, man, this is going to be some unbeatable juggernaut. I think it might be the best team in college football, but I don't think it's going to be some unbeatable juggernaut. And, you know, first of all, I mean, I'm with you. Like, I think this matchup is going to happen at some point in the college ball playoff. I hope it happens because it would be the most interesting matchup for our purposes, but we got a long way to go to get to that point. I mean, Ohio state has got to figure out who its starting quarterback is. Ohio state's got to figure out who its starting linebacker is. Ohio state's got to field a competent defense just to get back to the college ball playoff. I mean, Alabama's got to get through the sec. I mean, some people think Georgia is going to be the best team in college football this year. So there's still a long way to go for both of these teams uh, to get to that point uh, to, you know, when I, when I see some, you know, more defeatist Ohio state fans that are already talking about, ah, I'm already looking forward to 2022. We're not going to be good enough this year. We're not gonna be able to beat Alabama. I mean, have some, have some confidence, have, have some optimism. I mean, like, like Colin said, I mean, this Ohio state team has a lot of talent. I mean, I think, you know, th- there's a chance that other than other than quarterback, I mean, you actually just wrote a piece on Tuesday about, you know, how this team could compare to last year uh, at each position group. And I think there's a chance really other than quarterback that, you know, at most positions, this, this team could be better than last year. So I I think the pieces are in place for Ohio state uh, to be a championship contender once again, but there's no doubt that the team that, the team that's in the crosshairs right now, the team you're looking at is this is the team we're probably going to have to beat if we want to win a national title. Last year, that was Clemson. This year, that's Alabama. There's no doubt about it. And that's the exciting part of the next uh, eight months is we're all going to talk and spend the next eight months just dissecting that game that may or may not happen. Talk some recruiting about the class of 2022 as well, because Ohio State added two defensive back commits last week, Kai Stokes and Ryan Turner, who are both three stars from Florida. Uh, They are the two lowest ranked recruits in the class right now, but it sounds like they were both guys the Buckeyes really wanted and believe are underrated. Yeah, this is where um, maybe we would turn to our recruiting analyst, but uh, shout to Zach Carpenter who (laughs) who has left us for, uh, for Letterman row. But uh, I think, um, you know, it's one of those interesting it's it's the time that we all thought would come and that's nobody's really been able to evaluate these guys in person in so long that I don't really know whether we should trust recruiting rankings, whether we shouldn't, whether we should go off of how many offers these guys have. I don't really know. I think that that's the tough thing right now is like, yeah, if you look at them, like Ryan Turner's the 381st ranked player in the country. Kai Stokes is 558th. That said, they both have all the kind of offers that would make you think that these guys are Ohio state level guys. Yeah. I mean, I generally trust that, you know, Mark Pantone and uh, Kerry Combs and all the coaches on this staff, uh, you know, they know what they're doing in terms of who they're recruiting. And I mean, I've only seen, you know, a few minutes of highlights from these guys, but you know, they, they both look like they've got, you know, intriguing physical traits. I mean, Kai Stokes is a guy, I mean, I think when I looked a week ago, he was like 675th. So they're already moving him way up the rankings. I know that happened with Turner as well, that once he started getting these offers from Ohio State and Clemson and uh, all these other schools, that you know he started quickly moving up the rankings, which is the way these things work a lot of times. So, you know, I trust that, you know, they know what they're doing in terms of you know recruiting those guys. You know, you know, Turner's a guy particularly who's just watching him, like he looks like a 
a guy who's a physical player. Uh, I guess the thing that, you know, I, I read about him and that I noticed watching his film is uh, he plays a lot of press man. And as Kerry Combs reiterates, I think every single time we talk to him, uh, the number one thing that he wants his cornerbacks to be able to do is, is play press man. And I don't know if that's always what Ohio state fans want to hear because uh, you know, they had a lot of success a couple of years ago, you know, mixing things up more with Jeff Halfley. And I think, you know, when, when people hear uh, Gary Gomes say that, you know, you know, press man, press man, press man, they, they wonder if uh, Ohio state's being too reliant on that, but it's clear. That's the kind of guy Gary Gomes is looking for. And, you know, at least Ryan Turner, he looks like a guy who could be that. Yeah, and now just going back to the Ohio State-Clemson recruiting battles, like yep. that was them against Clemson um, yep. for that one. Um, I think maybe the most interesting part about this for me is we're seeing Ohio State prioritize quantity of defensive backs. And I do think that the way that they have recruited the 2021 class and the 2022 class speaks to the fact that they are planning to use five defensive backs on the field significantly more often than they have in the past going forward. Um, and I think that, I think that we saw that shift this spring and I think that we're going to continue to see that. I don't know if they're going to call it the bullet. I don't know what this thing's going to look like in 2024 when Kai Stokes hits the field for Ohio state. Um, but that definitely is the vibe that, that I've gotten considering they took six defensive backs if including Jalen Johnson and that in the 2021 class, they already have four guys committed, in the 2022 class, three of those guys are true cornerbacks. You know, one of those guys in Kai Stokes seems like he can play several different positions. And then they're also going after several other safeties. And it seems like they, they could take two more and end up with back-to-back classes of, of six defensive backs. Yeah. I think that's absolutely a possibility because, you know, our Andrew Ellis wrote his heat check uh, on the website on Tuesday and, you know, three of the guys in his top 11, that Ohio State is still targeting our defensive backs, those being uh, Xavier Nwankba and Zion Branch at safety, uh, also Toriano Pride at cornerback. Uh, it sounds like any of those three guys, as well as uh, Kamari Ramsey's safety from California, it sounds like all of those guys would still be takes for Ohio State even after they got Stokes and Turner. So I definitely think there's a good chance this could be another class of six defensive backs. And I think you're absolutely right about that. When you look at the way they're recruiting that they're recruiting to have a lot more defensive backs on the roster than linebackers, which tells you that they're going to be playing a lot more defensive backs and they're going to be playing linebackers, which seems like a smart decision Agreed, <laughs> like, because that's where the game is going, where, you have these spread offenses that pass the ball all the time, and you gotta you gotta have a lot of guys out there that can cover. Who in your mind? I, listen, I know we're not recruiting gurus, so we're not going to try to pretend. But from our vantage points of guys who, who follow the team as closely as anybody, who who are who's a guy or two that you look at and say like this team could really use this guy in the future? Who, who Ohio State's going after. Hey, I'm not a recruiting guru, but I did write a hurry up this week. So uh, congratulations, Dan. I'm, I'm trying. Um, yeah, you know, I think when you look at it, the position that I probably really look at right now and I look at the class where I think they really need to prioritize right now is in the trenches because they only have one offensive lineman and no defensive lineman committed right now for the class of 2022. So I think that really needs to be a big priority here. Uh, as they go into June, which is going to be a, a huge recruiting month. Uh, and so, you know, you look at offensive tackle, you know, Keontae Goodwin is a guy who 
you know, has been a top target, but he committed to Kentucky. Maybe he's still in play, but you know, I, you look at a guy like Emil Wagner, who who they offered recently uh, from from Wayne High School, which has been a, a, a big uh, recruiting spot for Ohio State. You know, I think he's the kind of guy, you know, a top in-state offensive tackle. You've got to go get him. Uh, you you got to get him, and you know, add add another defensive tackle, uh, offensive tackle. Sorry, you know, Zach Rice is another guy. You know, five-star offensive tackle who. They've recruited, but it seems, you know, it doesn't really seem like there's a whole lot of momentum there toward him coming to Ohio State. So, you know, I think they've still got some work to do there on the offensive line. Uh, they need to add a couple more high-level prospects there. And then, you know, defensive line as well. Uh, you know, certainly, uh, you know, you, you know, you talked about it. I think the defensive line is going to be strong this year, but they've got a lot of got a lot of older guys on that defensive line this year. I mean, you look at the guys who are going to be playing at ends end and tackle. Uh, a lot of those guys are seniors or super seniors. So uh, they're going to need some reinforcement uh, in that group. And right now they don't have anybody committed. So, you know, you look at uh, Caden Curry, uh, he, he's a guy, you know, versatile kind of guy, probably a defensive tackle who I know is one of their top targets. And then, you know, defensive end, you know, a few of the guys fit, uh, Andrew listed as top targets for them. Omari Ebor, uh, Kenyatta Jackson, Eni White. I think you know you've got to land at least one of those guys. Uh, you know, obviously, how much of a priority that position is going to be is going to depend in part on whether Ohio State lands JT Tuamolowau. But still, at the least, you, you've got to land uh, one top-notch defensive end in that 2022 class. Yeah, I mean, I think you nailed it in, in, in going with the offensive-defensive lines because, to be quite honest, like it feels like they're in really, really good shape elsewhere. I mean, they have their quarterback and yours. At running back, it seems like Dallin Hayden's in their crosshairs. Wide receiver, Brian Hartline's the coach, so like just close your eyes and know that you're going to end up with two five-stars and a top 100 player. Um, at tight end, they already have the, their guys committed. At linebacker, you know, they lost to San McCullough, but you still have C.J. Hicks. You still have Gabe Powers. They seem to be in a good position there. And, and as we talked about, you know, they're filling out the defensive backs right now. So to me, the, you, I, to me you're, right on the, you're right on the money with this, and that's the next few months. We're going to need to see them make some progress with these high-level defensive line and offensive line targets. All right, let's get into your questions here this week, and we're going to get to a couple of the questions that we did not get to last week as well. But uh, start out, uh, we talked a little bit about JT Tuomolo Al earlier. Uh, one of our questions this week from Buckeye11C asks us to look ahead hypothetically. Uh, if JT Tuomolo Al uh, does end up choosing Ohio State, his question is, you know, how would JTT fit in when he enrolls? He wrote, he seems like a natural free tech, but that position is pretty deep, too small for NT. Do you think they will move stuff around inside for him to play or run a defensive end too deep of Harrison Smith and Sawyer JTT? I think this is a really good question because, you know, truthfully, like when I've done, you know, depth chart projections this offseason, I haven't included JT because I I have no idea whether he's actually going to be on the team, but I do think, I do think it's fascinating on multiple levels because for one, I mean, we're talking about a guy who isn't going to make his decision in June. So I, I think that, you know, naturally, you know, like if I'm looking at him versus Jack Sawyer for who's going to play more this year, I think Jack Sawyer is going to play more because he's been on campus since 
January and he, and he's gone through a spring. Whereas, you know, JT is going to be coming in later. I, I think, you know, that, you know, might make it a little more difficult for him to earn a major role on the defense at the same time. He's another one of those guys. He's probably only going to be there for three years. He's too talented to not have some kind of role. So I'll be interested to see if he does end up choosing Ohio state, what that role ends up being. Uh, you know, I, I think it's, you know, it, it's probably going to be primarily as a defensive end. Uh, I don't know what I see him being on the two deep because I mean, you've got not only Zach Harrison and Tyree Smith and Jack Sawyer, but you've also got Tyler Friday and Javante Jean Baptiste. So do I see a guy, uh, you know, coming in in June or July or whatever, and, and necessarily jumping right onto the two deep. I don't know that I see that. Uh, but you know, you did put in parentheses, Buckeye 11C said, you know, sign me up for those four D and also make that a Rushman package. I do like the idea of a Zach Harrison, Tyreek Smith, Jack Sawyer, JT Tuomolowau Rushman package. I think that that's the answer too, because if I'm looking at it, there's no, there's no area that I feel like makes a ton of sense. You know, they, they're pretty deep at, at defensive end. I look at the defensive tackles and I think like, I think their two three techniques are probably their two best defensive tackles in Haskell Garrett and Teron Benson. So I don't look at it and say, you know, this is this is 100% where it makes sense. Um, I think the Russian package is perfect for him. I mean, you're not going to get a guy who you've coached for, you know, even even a full spring camp. Your entire coaching of JTT will have been whatever time you get with him in August, and that's it. So, like, I don't think that you're going to – I don't think that Larry Johnson is going to trust them uh, – to, to, to trust him to run out there and, and play, a, play a massive role and, and start over some of these other guys who, who have paid their dues. But he's also a guy who it's like you can't keep JTT off the field if you get JTT. So I do think that that Rushman package, if you have – if you have Jack Sawyer, JTT, Tyreek Smith, and Der- Zach Harrison on the field at once in the Rushman package, like – return of the Russian package. We didn't see it. We haven't seen it a ton of late. Uh, that that would be the reason to bring it back. Nick Saban just clipped you saying there's no role that makes a ton of sense. And he's sending it to JTT <laughs> right now saying, this yes. is why you should come to Alabama because you're going to have more playing time available for you. Yeah, no. And honestly, like, Hundred percent, what he's saying that and that could happen. Like that, like because mm-hmm. because I look I look at him too. Like you look at that Alabama defense. Like I think he'd be a very natural fit for that three four defensive end role that he'd probably play there. So uh, I think he'd be a second year starter at Ohio State. I don't even know if he's on the depth chart in year one. And like for a guy like him, like we're talking about the best recruit in the country. Like that that matters. Abs- absolutely, absolutely. So it's going to be really fascinating. Uh, to see how that plays out. But you know, the reality is they're going to find a role for him. I mean, if, if if that's part of a contingency plan is he's only going to pick Ohio State if there's some role that they can promise him, then they're going to give him a role. Uh, he'll, he'll have a role, but I, I, I'm in agreement with Colin here, but I don't think it's going to be a, a big role, probably a situational pass rushing kind of role in year one. And he's an absolute freak of nature who you just oh, watch yeah. and who you watch move. And it's like human beings, this big shouldn't move like this. And like, that's why he has the ability to drag out his recruitment as long as he wants. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Next question from Daniel, give a percentage that you think uh, will be the shoes attendance percentage for games this year. Essentially how full will the shoe be for home games? Well, we talked about this off air the other day 
And I think you're actually a little more confident than I am, but I think we both agree that we think the stadium's probably going to be full this fall. Is that right? Yeah, I feel very confident in it. I just, you know, I, I think by the time the season rolls around, um, and this is obviously, I, I don't think Ohio State will make any decision to, to cap attendance before they would absolutely have to at the, at the last possible moment. But I think by the time the season rolls around, they'll be in a position um, where, I mean, you look around the country, and I think a lot of, a lot of, a lot of conferences, a lot of schools will have their stadium fully open, and I don't think. Um, I don't think Ohio State or the Big Ten um, will make a decision to, to cap it. I think I think the stadiums will be full. Yeah, I mean you're already seeing you know baseball stadiums that are starting to you know open up fully, and I know you know UFC's done some of that. I know NASCAR's doing some of that. So there's already momentum in that direction, and I think I think the big fear that a very rational fear that Ohio State fans have is that Kevin Warren's going to come out and say, "Nope, we're not filling up the stadiums." But I also – I don't know this, but I think – I think the Big Ten knows that it needs to avoid what happened last year. So, to me, my, the way I see it is I think most likely, you know, at some point this summer, the SEC and the ACC and the Big 12 are all going to come out and say, you know, uh, we expect to have full stadiums this year. And, and then the Big Ten – you know, will follow suit because, you know, at least in terms of Ohio, you know, Mike DeWine has already said that he thinks uh, they're going to be full stadiums by this summer. And, you know, I know we were talking to our colleague Kevin Harris about it and he made that point that, you know, he thinks, you know, by the middle of the summer that, you know, progressive field up in Cleveland and you know, great American ballpark down in Cincinnati, they're not going to have capacity restrictions anymore. And I think if you see it in other sports, you see it elsewhere in the state, things continue to move in the right direction with, people getting vaccinated and COVID numbers going down. I, I think at a minimum, I, I think the stadium is going to be, uh, you know, a lot more full than it was, you know, even for the spring game. I mean, I, I think I, I expect it to be full capacity or close to full capacity. And we're talking still like nearly four months away. Like it, there's right. a long time, um, a lot of things that can happen. Right. Things Good could go <laughs> in either way. Correct. Correct. But you would think, you know, with, with, with vaccinations and all that that's going on, you know, I, you would think it's a lot more likely we're going to make big steps forward than we're going to make big steps back at this point. You would hope. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. I am. I, I am certainly hopeful. Earth pig asks, a non-COVID question. And this is, I will be honest, this is something that I feel like, I don't know if it's because last year the schedule got ripped out of our hands and all of our thoughts uh, went to nothingness, but I haven't thought about this fall schedule really nearly as much as I have at this point in the year in a normal year. But, but he asks, who is the sleeper on the 2021 schedule? Yeah, it's a tough question because I guess like the, first of all, you got to eliminate like who, who doesn't count as a sleeper? Like, I'm, you know, I, I don't think you can include, you know, Michigan or Penn State, obviously. I don't think you can include Indiana as a sleeper. Last year, you were right about Indiana being the sleeper, but they're not a sleeper anymore. Uh, Oregon's not a sleeper. And I, I don't know what you could say. I don't really think you could say Minnesota is because it's the first game of the year. So then you look at, you know, the rest of the games, I think, if you're going to look for a sleeper, 
and there's not anybody that jumps out at me, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, it's not Tulsa or Akron, you know, I, I think Rutgers and Maryland are getting better. Is Michigan a sleeper, Dan? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I mean, it's Michigan's not, my, not a sleeper, either way. But... <laughs> it's either way. It's not my answer. So it's, it's hard to say. I mean, I, I mean, Maryland's a team that I look at, like, I don't really don't think there's any way they should beat Ohio state or really even come close to it. But I mean, they were a team before that game got canceled last year. People started getting a little worried about because they have a good young quarterback who I think will be one of the best quarterbacks in the big 10 this year. And Talia Tagovailoa. you know, they've got, you know, Raheem Jarrett, who's going to be one of the best receivers in the big 10 this year. You know, they've got some improving talent. So, you know, that would maybe be a team I'd look at. Okay. They're Ohio state's playing seven or six games in a row, if I can do the math correctly. That'll be the last of six games in a row for Ohio State. Maybe that would be a game, like maybe that, you know, there's a letdown and and it gets interesting. Um, You know, it's hard for me to really find much else there. You know, I look at, you know, those November games, you know, Nebraska, Purdue, Michigan State. You know, Purdue's always a team that comes up, but obviously uh, they don't have Rondale Moore anymore. I mean, they still have some talent, but I, I don't, you know, I think that gap might be too big at this point, especially with the game being played at Ohio State. You know, Nebraska's always a team that I look at where it's like I feel like they should be able to play a competitive game, but then they never do. So it's kind of hard to have much faith in them. Yeah, my answer is basically that there really isn't one this year. Um, and I know that we all love to talk about the trap game, the sleepers on the schedule. Like maybe my answer would be like a Minnesota in week one, because having Minnesota in week one on a Thursday is just weird. Like that's just outright weird. Like that doesn't happen. So like, but that's, that's almost more about the placement on the schedule than it is about the actual opponent. Correct. Like when I look up and down, like you're not going to convince me that Rutgers is going to beat Ohio State. I I apologize. Congratulations to Greg Schiano. I'm a believer. I think that was a right hire. 2021. They're not beating Ohio State. Uh, Maryland. You know, they brought in some talent. I just can't get get to the point where I think that Maryland is going to beat this Ohio State team. Um, like Penn State and Michigan, those aren't sleepers. Indiana's not a sleeper anymore. Like that leaves like Nebraska, Purdue, Michigan State. Like I think Michigan State's an absolute mess. I think Purdue's a mess. So those aren't my answers. And it's like, well, isn't it Nebraska? Maybe it's Nebraska, but like I'm sure by that time, either Nebraska will be overly hyped or Nebraska will also be a disaster. One of the two. Uh, So I'm not I don't really think that there is a sleeper. Yeah, if I have to pick one, I'm going to pick Maryland. But I I really think that, you know, Ohio State should be able to beat all those teams comfortably, of course, with the caveat that we still don't really know exactly how their quarterback player defense is going to be. Or who that quarterback's even going to be, even though we have a we have an idea. But uh, last question: Rock, flag, and eagle. There have been seven years of the college football playoff. Each year, the playoff consists of four teams. Which year has had the weakest four-team field, and which has had the strongest four-team field? This one I intentionally pushed back to this week because I knew that you know I'd have to actually look it up, and we weren't going to really have time uh, last week, but. Oh, just just looking at it quickly, um, you know, in, in, to start with the weakest, since that was the first question, to me, I look at 2016 as the weakest because there were two really good teams in Alabama and Clemson, but there was a clearly enormous drop-off from those top two because, 
nobody ever thought Washington was going to beat Alabama as the four seed that year. And then Ohio State got smoked 31 nothing by Clemson and clearly did not look like it belonged in that game. So I think just in terms of a depth of a field, that's the one that jumps out to me as the weakest because you really only had two teams that deserve to be there. Yeah, my mind is mush. So like all of these games, once we go back beyond like two years ago, they just all roll together, and I'm I'm jealous of people who can actually tell them apart. But that was sort of the one that, I mean that that's one of those that stood out to me too. And part of that's just because we're we follow Ohio State closer than most people, and that Ohio State team did not deserve to be there, and they got absolutely smacked. And then the other side of a coin, you know, the strongest one. You know, I think there's a few different ways they go with this one. I mean, I think the first one has a very strong case for that because. I mean, Ohio State was the four seed and they won the whole thing. And, you know, they beat an Alabama team that was, you know, really good, you know, or Oregon was, you know, a really good team that year. And, you know, Florida State got, you know, blown out, but they were a 13 and 0 team that year. So, you know, I think that was one of the uh, stronger fields uh, that there's been. You know, I look at 2017 as well. You know, the, the three and the four seeds made the championship game. So, you know, that's a good indicator that there were four teams that really deserved to be in the playoff that year. You know, Alabama beat Clemson pretty convincingly, but I don't think anyone was questioning that Clemson, you know, deserved to be there. Okay, we were the number one seed. And then Oklahoma that year, that was a double overtime game against Georgia where, you know, really wasn't much defense. It was, you know, Baker Mayfield, uh, you know, going up and down the field. And it was a, a very high scoring game. But, you know, that's probably my answer. I'd probably say that number one and then you know the the first one number two because of the fact that you know you had a four seed that not only won its first game but won the national championship and all four teams you know deserve to be there yeah I think that the last two have been really strong um and I would you know I'm my answer might even be the 2021 just because you had an absolute juggernaut in LSU and you had two teams that I think were legitimately great um in Ohio State and Clemson yeah. And we won't talk about Oklahoma. Yeah, but I, I think that's a good answer, too, because, I mean, I think I think that LSU team might the be best the best teams. I think out of any Old team time. in a college football playoff era, I think that was probably the best team in a college football playoff era. I mean, that maybe awesome. last year's Alabama has a, has a yeah, yeah. I mean, I think either one of those you could make the case. But I mean, that LSU offense was unbelievable. And then, you know, Clemson, Ohio State. I mean, we saw how close that game was. I mean, those those were two fantastic teams too so i think there's a very good uh case to be made for that i mean oklahoma oklahoma's defense did not belong in the college football playoff but uh aside from that that was definitely a strong playoff field yeah yeah i think that my qualifier for that is essentially you know is there one unbelievable team and are there at least two others that you look at and say like any given year this team could win a national championship and like i view that year as is that being the case well, thanks again for listening in to this week's episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. Hope you all uh, enjoyed the conversation. And we'll be back next week for some more Ohio State football and whatever else might happen talk. So uh, thanks again for listening in, and we'll talk to you again soon.